Thank you for listening to Speed Bumps. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed my podcast on whatever platform you're currently listening on. I also wanted to plug my YouTube channel, where I'm posting videos every Friday under the hashtag FinnApprovedFridays. In the videos, I demonstrate how I do everyday tasks and tell you if the items are Finn approved. You can find my YouTube channel by searching one thumb L, that's O-N-E, thumb E-L, or clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and on to the show. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. if your uncle was still alive at that point or if there was like a transition period I probably started buying from you guys maybe eight months ago so it was just after your uncle passed okay okay so I own Bristol Beef LLC which is a USDA and custom slaughterhouse and then we have Sonic Meat Company now which is our processing facility and our retail store it used to be called Sonic Beef and Pork that was my uncle's old LLC, and I just felt that a name change should happen just to show that under new management, and so it has been there for a hundred years, and it's changed names three times over the hundred years okay. to the third. Okay. And so uh, it's just just time. It's time for new blood to show that we do more than beef and pork because we also provide poultry and lambs and goats and other items, you know. So it was just time for a switch up and. Show Sullington that we're here. Something's different. Come check us out. So that was the purpose of the rebranding. Yeah, I remember I was very unhappy with the meat, the quality of the meat that I was getting in the local grocery stores. And, um, you know, driving half hour, 40 minutes one way to, like, get bulk orders of meat, like, it was kind of working, but, like, also really not feasible. Um, and I... I don't I only remember how I think I'd Googled like butcher in Southington and you guys had come up and I was like, oh no, actually that's not true. I saw it, didn't think anything of it, and we were actually going to the dog park. And we happened to be driving right past it. And my husband was like, Did you see that? And I was like, Yeah, he's like, it says it's open, let's go in. And that's when we met Johnny. And uh, yeah, we actually now order our dog food from you guys. Yeah. You guys buy quite a bit great. <laughs> you know, you guys are we love people like you because you guys are our bread and butter. And that's what we cater to. We cater to, every, we try to give everybody that comes to our store their individual attention. We don't want that feel of a box store. We want that feel of an old school butcher shop where you come in, you tell us what's going on. Do you want your steaks an inch thick or three inches thick? That's how we cut them. Yeah. We want you guys to be happy. That's, that's your goal. <clears throat> and so the reason 
I've kind of morphed this into what it is, what it's turning into is because I feel the same way you feel about the grocery stores and the overextended pricing and the, just the price gouging that these corporate companies are doing to us. There's no need for it. I try to supply a high quality meat. We buy either choice or prime. We don't buy anything lower and we sell it at a reasonable price. I mean, there's no reason you can't have a quality meal and be broke after it. It's just the economy that we live in. People struggle day to day to pay daily bills. Never mind, go spend thousands of dollars at the grocery store on meat. That's terrible. Yeah. So I mean, I remember even like summer of 2019, maybe not summer of 2019 yet, maybe like beginning of 2020, we would go and buy like uh, ground beef from the store mm -hmm. and it would look okay. Like it would, but it'd be that fake pinky red. Mm -hmm. And we, as soon as we buy it at the store, we drive 10 minutes home, we then want to use it immediately to like make hamburger patties or whatever. And we'd slice it open and you'd get like that rotting meat smell. Yeah. every single time and finally we're like we can't keep doing this like that's just wasting money uh, and then we've even noticed like some of the packages when they're like i guess vacuum sealed and but it's like in a, a hard plastic so it almost forms a bubble on top and like how can you still have that out on your shelves yeah so uh, a lot of that stuff that's in the grocery stores now comes pre-packed and it has because a lot of local well, grocery stores, they no longer process meat in their facility. It's all shipped to their facility, pre-packed, ready to rock and roll. And that stuff is being processed in factories and warehouses throughout the country. And then they come to a location here in Connecticut that's enormous. And on, it's like a five-story building that's full of nothing but freezers. And so everything's been frozen for six months at least by the time it comes to you. Okay. And so that's why sometimes you get that. I mean, because who knows what? It's been handled so many times by the time it reached the actual retail consumer. Who knows what's happened to it, where it sat, what happened, how long it's been processed, and things. So um, so even the stuff that's, like, in the refrigerated section, where you could, like, make ground beef immediately, that's been pre-frozen and then thawed for us? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So okay. with us, we sell a lot of frozen items, and we're just starting to break into the actual fresh retail end of it. So we're trying to run it Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays. We have fresh meat products in our case, pork, chicken, beef. So our foot traffic isn't strong enough yet to sustain it daily. Yep. And so we're trying to cut back on waste and other products. So that's why we only do it three days a week because we see more foot traffic on the Thursdays, the Fridays and Saturdays. People are coming in, picking up their supplies for the weekend and yep. for next week. So we're trying to break into that. And we've seen almost 600 new customers according to our POS system, which okay. is our point of sale. Yep, yep. It's uh, in the last three months. It's huge. It's it's huge. It's been overwhelming. We've been working a ton of hours to make sure these orders are complete for people. And it's really showing itself. The time and the effort we've put into is coming back to us tenfold. And yeah. we're building strong bonds in our community. And everybody keeps telling them, like, people come in every day. We didn't know you were here. Yeah. We heard it from our neighbor. They came here. And they heard it from their neighbor. And that's how... We grow, and that's how we build yeah. a strong bond in the community and support. And hopefully, we'll be here another hundred years. You know? Yeah, I, I feel like that organic word of mouth, like social media, is great. It is great, but it's sometimes that organic word of mouth is so much mm -hmm. better than seeing yes. someone's post. So we rely a lot on social media through our Facebook page, mm -hmm. which is something to meet company, and our Instagram page, which is something to meet company CT, and 
that gets our name into people's faces and yep. on our phones, but then they actually come and try it, and then that's where we turn them. Yeah. We get them, you know, they're yeah. hooks because with the customer service that we have, and they mentioned Johnny, I met Johnny, he's our our head specialist, as we call him, the meat specialist. Uh, he's been involved in the meat industry longer than I've been alive, and I'm 40 years old. Yeah. So he's come from an extensive background, his father's own meat market, his family still owns a meat market, and he's worked in and out of different grocery stores throughout the years when he wasn't at his parents' place, and he's been with us for the last 10 years, and his customer service skills and knowledge of the products is wonderful and people really adore him. They look forward to talk to him because he gives everybody that individual attention. People walk in and they see three people in front of them. They have to wait 10 or 15 minutes, but they know when it's their turn, they're going to get that individual attention and they're going to get exactly what they need, how they want it, when they want it. And that's what's important. And that's what people like. And it's just, we live in such a, Hustle bustle society. It seems like people don't take five minutes to help somebody else or make yeah. sure that they're actually happy with what they're spending their money on. It's just not like grab a package. You know, that's not what we want. Yeah. If we don't have it, we'll get it for you. We won't lie to you. We won't BS you. We want you to be a happy customer because we want you to come back. Right. So just using this for an example, a couple of weeks ago, we processed an animal at our slaughterhouse for mm-hmm. somebody wanted to buy a whole beef the freezer and once we knocked it down and opened up the animal it wasn't to our standard quality that's supposed to be so i call the customer and i go i know you've been waiting a few weeks you're gonna have to wait a few more weeks longer because the animal we process for you isn't up to our standard mm-hmm. and i don't want to just tell you something to tell you something i want you to come back i want right. you to be a lifelong customer and that's how we feel that's how we look at everybody we make that bond with them yeah you know that's what's important well, and I feel like people respect when you're upfront and honest with them. Yeah, absolutely. 110%. I, me personally, if somebody called me, my butcher called me and told me, hey, I know you're supposed to be getting an animal this week for your freezer. Sorry, we're going to have to push you back another week or two because the animal wasn't up to quality. Right. I 110% ought to respect them way more than I ever did before because they're truthful and they're honest with you. And that's what really matters. It's like I feel like we've lost that honest connection with people. You know, so that's what we're trying to build back. So you mentioned how you were processing a specific um, cow. How do you get your cows? I know Johnny's mentioned it's like from Pennsylvania. Correct. So we do have a farm in Southington. It's not very large, but we use it. I do raise a herd there. It's a small herd. And they do trickle down through our channels of processing. Mm -hmm. But we do own... Partnership. My uncle, summers along the line, had bought into a farm in Pennsylvania. And so we deal with people, some Amish men down there, one specific farm every single time. So we'll take the four and a half hour ride down to Amish country. We'll pick out the animals we want, and then we drive back. So sometimes we have to go down for at least four at a time. Otherwise, it's not feasible for fuel yep, and totals yep. and all that stuff. So that's what our farm in Stockton comes in. Because then if we don't have customers for all the animals, we'll stage them there for a month or two months until they're ready or somebody wants them and then we'll use them as we see fit. Okay. So. I like that. So it's not just, you've actually seen these animals. You're not just getting, because I've walked into the shop and there's been, you know, racks of half a cow hanging or a quarter cow Correct. or, um, it, it's not a mystery where these things come from. Oh no, absolutely not. We go and pick them up. We, Every single animal that comes through our facility, either me or one of my employees has processed and has 
euthanized for this service, you know, where it's not just a mystery animal showing up. Yeah. You know, like we know who's fed them, what they've been eating, where they came from, you know, any, there's no hormones, no vaccines, none of that. No. So they're the real deal. Well, and it's interesting to me because, um, there's a guy that I know who he can't drink uh, milk from or eat any type of dairy from within the U.S. But he had gone to Ireland and in, I guess in Ireland, if they give the animal any type of antibiotics ever, including a cow, that animal then can't be used for human consumption, milk or meat. And so he, and he's allergic to antibiotics. Mm-hmm. So he can have dairy in Ireland, but he can't have the dairy in the U.S., and, you know, a lot of people nowadays are having, they, they say that the meat tastes different. And from the, like a stop and shop or a local store, um, it does, it has, it doesn't taste like you. I remember when I was a kid. Correct. But yours does. Like there's a difference to it. Correct. So it's funny that you say that because just on Sunday, we made some hamburger patties, mm-hmm. from, obviously from the store. Yeah. And my wife was like, these are so good. They remind me of. Fourth of July, you know, when you're a kid running by the picnic table and grabbing a burger off the plate yeah. and, keep, and keep playing with your friends or your cousins, wherever you were playing with or your neighbors, that's what it reminds me of. Like, it's, it's real just, food. It's, yeah, it's real, <laughs> it's real beef. It's not filled with artificial fillers. And, you know, when you buy patties from the store, they're not 100% beef. They say they are, but there's fillers in there. There's glue, there's pigment, there's colors, there's dyes, preservatives. There's all kinds of different things they're adding into there. Yeah. Where there's none of that with ours. Yeah, and I think that is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, what are some speed bumps you've encountered either starting this store or just going from the slaughterhouse in Bristol to then the retail store also in Southington? Like, tell me some something so, else. <laughs> the whole process. It's a whole big process that people don't realize. Like, people think we just have a slaughterhouse and we kill cows and we process. There's nothing. That's it. It's not. So it starts with the USDA licensing, we have USDA employees in our facility every day that we're killing, you know, so we go out under high scrutiny and through the USDA to make sure everything's clean and proper, yep. every animal gets inspected. It's not like in these larger facilities where they inspect like every third animal, every single animal gets inspected thoroughly hands-on with the USDA inspector, literally like with a microscope, picking every little piece off, like if there's a dirt or a drop or a piece of hair or something that yeah. we missed, like it has to be trimmed off. Can't wash it all, all matter or anything like that. That's not actual beef has to be trimmed. It cannot be washed. So they're super strict on it, which holds us to a higher standard, which I'm okay with. I like yeah. being held to a higher standard yeah. because it proves that we're legit. Yep. But coming along with that is also the handling of the cows, humane handling cooler we need to have feed every day at the slaughterhouse farm so that gets into the whole other aspect of farming and making hay and so we do all that and then yeah. then we have a refrigerator truck that brings it down from our facility in bristol to our store in Sullington. so you know you have to have a cooler truck you have to have proper storage for all the coolers freezers there's a whole it just keeps going it never stops and yeah. then there's the retail end of it so everything we buy so we buy some product in, like the chicken and stuff, yep. we buy from local farmers. So we've got storage for that, delivery scheduling. It just, you know, it's Even a lot. Even paper and tape. Like... Butcher paper and tape. It's crazy. We bought nine rolls of tape 
from Lowe's the other night. It was forty dollars for that. Forty dollars for nine rolls of masking tape. That's stupid. Like, they used to be fifty cents. Yeah. Not everything. Our rolls of paper. You use eighteen month butcher paper, wax on one side, so it's guaranteed for eighteen months in the freezer. That used to be like twenty seven dollars a roll. It's now almost a hundred dollars a roll. Yeah. You know, just because of COVID, so it's really hit hard on the bottom line for us to making ends meet, but. We've gone up a little bit in our prices, but not extraordinary because we still want to offer a quality product at a lower price yeah. that we can. And that's the people coming back like you, yeah. coming back week after week or month after month because you buy in bulk. That's what keeps our lights on. That's what keeps our doors open. That's what puts food on our on yeah. our family's tables for us. Yeah. Just like we're putting food on your table, you know? Yeah. It's just a big circle. So the speed bumps... Michael Pass, his LLC, it's still tied up in probate. So that's why another reason I started a new LLC of Sonic okay. Meat Company. So, but that being said, it makes it a lot logistically easier for me on the financial end with and with his estate and the attorneys and all that stuff. That makes sense. So that's where you go with that. And then, like, help. There's no help ever. Yeah. You can never find any help. And if you do find somebody that comes in to actually try to fill a position for us, they want a million dollars. You know, like, we don't make a million dollars. We can't pay you that. Yeah. You know, well, that's the society we live in. And everybody thinks that they're worth $100 an hour. But realistically, I don't make $100 an hour. How can I pay you $100 an hour? Right. You know, so that's been a struggle for us. We have an older, an older crew of butchers that are starting, their age is starting to show a little bit. Which happens to all of us. So yeah. we're now in the process. Our biggest speed bump right now is finding help. So well, and I feel like I consider butchering like a trade. Like most people, like my age, because I'm younger than you, mm-hmm. don't know how to do that. They've never gotten their hands dirty. They don't have calluses. They don't, you know, heck, even know how to change a flat tire, let alone how to butcher their own meat. Exactly. They think it came on a styrofoam tray. You know? Yeah, it's it's not how it happens anymore. You know. Or, so that that's a huge speed bump for us. And then the slaughterhouse, I actually luckily just hired another employee there last week. So and he's doing really well. But he's also from the south, which makes a difference because people yep. in New England don't want to do the type of work. How yep. do you one, how do you advertise for it, first of all? Yeah. And two, I mean it takes a different type of person to do what we do. Yeah. You know. We're killing animals, essentially. You yeah. know? So it takes a tougher mental psyche for that. And like me personally, I've been around it my entire life. Right. So to me, it's just another day of work. I just tell people, people are like, well, how do you do that? I go, the only reason this animal was born and is alive and was fed and taken care of was to feed somebody. Right. You know, it's not like we're going out in the wild and just walking a, a cow out of the, the wild like people do with deer and other things. I get it. People eat and people hunt and I'm not against it. I've done it when I was younger. I'm not really too much into it now, but for us, it's different. Like I look at it like somebody loved that animal and took care of that animal. Mm-hmm. gave the best life you could possibly give yep. until it got to us it's because it's there to nourish them and our family. Well, and I feel like that's a really great point because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, eating meat is bad and it's cruel. And I'm like, hang on. I was like, do you realize the amount of animals you kill, let's say, to grow soybeans? You have to kill every pest, every bee, every ant, every chipmunk, every everything in that ground to grow those soybeans. And then there's pesticides. And what does that do to the land? Whereas I know a lot of people and 
that I'm making an assumption right now, but the Amish typically live back, you know, if you think of like colonial times, right? right. And so they're, they tend to be, from what I've seen, more into regenerative farming. They're not um, packing these cattle into, you know, the slaughterhouse and they, where they never see sunshine and they never get grass on their feet. Like they move around, they can walk, they can be a cow. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, their manure helps the field. Like it's this whole process that is so much better for the environment. Whereas I feel like the beef from uh, a large chain grocery store, those cows yeah, are but, totally different. Yeah, because they're, a lot of those are harvested for out west and major packing plants out west. And they they go in these feedlots, they call them. And there's 2,000 cows in the feedlot. And it's basically a rectangle or a square. And they have feeders all the way around the outside. And that's how they eat. Like, there's no grass. It's just dirt because any grass that was in there would vaporize because there's 2,000 cows in there. Right. You know, and they only just walk around in dirt and stand in a lot, look at each other and eat. That's all they do. Where the local farmers and the Amish that we get them from, they the cows live a different life. You know, they're out in pastures. They see grass. They eat hay. They eat grain, you know. So they live a different life. It's definitely more humane, but... Essentially, the United States uses a lot of beef, and unfortunately, we can't sustain the, the amount of food that we need to produce unless we do it that way in those feedlots, unfortunately, for the major production places. Well, we're not a major production place, so we don't have to do that. We yeah. choose not to, and that's why my uncle saw that vision and got involved with the facility he did down in Pennsylvania. Do you think that if more people decided to do what you did, and what your uncle did of working with these small farmers. Do you think these big feedlots would be necessary? Yes. Why? Because everything's mass produced because of the McDonald's. Okay. The, the Burger Kings. The, okay. You know, those, those chain places. I mean, look at just the restaurants alone. Look how many burgers are going through and steaks are going through and, you know, and they're not the, the highest quality meat either. Right. You know, but they just want meat. So they'll never, to raise a cow properly from start to finish, it takes two years, two and a half years. And to sustain a, a herd of a large enough size to pasture feed them, we're talking Montana's, Wyoming's, like where there's thousand acre pastures. And unfortunately, those areas and those farms are slowly being depleted, even by our own government. Right. You know? So that's a whole other story. We won't get into that. Oh, no. And, but, and, but I, was it Texas? Just passed a, I think it was Texas. They just passed a bill that, like, the Chinese can't keep buying farmland yeah. because the Chinese were buying up a bunch of farmland. Exactly. And, like, that's a problem. And so <laughs> a couple of years ago with the pork shortage that we had there mm-hmm. is because one of the major pork producers in the United States sold company to a Chinese company. So all the pork that was being produced in the United States and was staying in the United States is now being shipped out and going to China. So it was our own United States company sold out to the Chinese and they took all the, they took 90% of the product that we were producing for us overseas. And that's why there's such a shortage on this stuff. And same thing with the other farmland down in Texas, you know, that's what's happening. I mean, I get it for the ranchers and the companies that own these, I mean, they're putting money in their pocket. I guess they'll be able to afford the higher prices because they sold what they sold. Right, right. And so money's not an option or a problem for them anymore. But for the rest of us in the United States, 
it is a problem and it does hurt us and hurts us in the bottom line. You know, it's a choice between paying the light bill or buying groceries this week, you know, and it's a tough situation for a lot of people. So that's another reason why we do what we do is to help curb that. I appreciate that. I remember my husband was telling me how in California, I guess they grow alfalfa and they had actually diverted a bunch of water into these alfalfa fields because apparently alfalfa needs a a ton of water and it was owned by um, a Saudi Arabian. Well, they can't grow alfalfa in Saudi Arabia because diverting water there is illegal because it'll mess up the ecosystem so bad. Mm -hmm. So they purchase land in California, buy the alfalfa, process it here, and then ship it back over there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that right there is just like the Chinese, you know, buying farmland and companies like that. Yeah. You want to know why your food prices are so high in the grocery store? It's not that the United States companies are exporting the goods and they're making it's people from the other countries are buying our land and they're exporting it to themselves. So the United States isn't making any money. These families, it's the money's not going back to the communities and support everything. It's just going back in the other person's pocket. Yeah. So it's it's gotten very tough for us as farmers and cattle producers and even hog producers to do what we do. To so we make hay. So we hay about 240 acres of hay. Okay. So we make this hay because we have to have hay on hand all the time at our farm. Yep. For our animals and plus at the slaughterhouse because it's a USD. We have to have feed for animals to stay overnight. Yep. So we have animals to stay overnight almost every day of the week. So we're constantly there in and out checking animals, feeding them, one night next. But to fertilize our fields, it's like $1,200, $1,500 every thousand pounds of fertilizer. So it's used to be $400. Right. So it's doubled, tripled in price. And so all these farmers that are producing this hay, they're charging 9 to $12. And it's driving the economy up because then they're also paying for diesel. That's $4 a gallon to run the tractors, run the equipment to, to reduce this. And the same thing goes with the feed, the wheat, the grains that, that we put into all these cattle feeds. The same thing. The farmers are running into the same problems. Seed prices are through the roof. I spent $300 on seeds from my garden. Seeds, not actual plants. Yeah. $300 on seeds. Yeah. So imagine what these farmers are doing that are producing thousands upon thousands of acres and bushels upon bushels worth of grain and corn and soybean and other feed processing. It's cost them an arm and leg producer, which is driving the feed price up, which is driving the cattle prices up and the fuel prices to transport it, which drives the market price up across the nation for everybody. Yeah. I So... Two two questions on that. One, I've heard that cows being fed grain for an extended period of time isn't great for them. Like, it's one thing if it's, like, uh, snowing because then, like, they can't get, right, they can't eat the grass. Um, but that grain was bad. And then, two, I saw this. Oh, actually, I'll let you answer that first before I. That's not oh, Okay. I mean, it depends on what you're feeding them. Some grain, because some grain is treated with antibiotics and other things, but normal Cattle feed is not bad for cattle. It's specifically produced for them, for their rumen and their other stomachs that they have and how mm-hmm. they process food. I, my cattle eat grain every single day. And that down in Amish land, they eat grain every day and they also subsidize them with soybeans and hay, and just like we do here in Connecticut, just right here in Sullington. It's not bad for them. And then the other question I have is I saw this thing where it was like, they were talking about seeds and the farmer was like, yeah, I go to buy the seeds, but then when they dropped the seed off and it was like, a, it wasn't like garden seeds. It was like yeah. he had large, he had to sign a, like a waiver 
that um, the seed company could come in and check their product at any time and that they weren't meant to reproduce. So like even, I think it was corn, like you couldn't then take the corn kernels and replant them next year because it's hybridized in a way that he then has to buy, he has to buy seed next year. Because a lot of the seed companies, and this is part of the government's fault, they've allowed these companies to genetically bioengineer the seeds. Unless they're heirloom seeds, they've been biologically engineered to fight disease, fight fungus, or, you know, dry conditions so that Mm -hmm. they can... uh, Drought resistant. Drought resistant, correct, thank you. You know, so they're engineering these things, and they're also taking the reproduction part of the seed out of it, so it won't bloom and have pollen and all that other stuff. So they have to buy the seeds, but it's also well, they're in there, and they're claiming it's just a side effect of the bioengineering to keep them from making them a hardier seed. But it's all it's all scam. It's all planned. They they got you any way you go. Well, and I just want to give a little food for thought for people who just heard that if you've never heard that before. If they can make seeds not be able to reproduce, what can they do to you? And like, what does that potentially do to you if that's what you're constantly eating? Mm-hmm. Just food for thought. But then also, if pollen's not being produced, everyone's up in arms about there's no bees and all this other stuff. Well, maybe part of the problem is because all these large fields don't have pollen for the bees. Or they're spreading the chemicals that kills the bees. Right, right. So that's the other thing. And yeah. I feel like those are the things that um, I think it's Al Gore who called it the inconvenient truth, but I'm going to spin it for a second. Maybe those are the inconvenient truths that people don't want to think about. Like It is. <laughs> they just know that they go to the grocery store and the food's there. Well, one day it's not going to be there. Right. I mean, that's the, so we just received for our slaughterhouse facility, we received a, a grant to the Connecticut Department of uh, Agriculture for mm-hmm. economic efficiency and just like um, it was an energy efficiency grant, so yeah. to help us save energy and water and other things, mm-hmm. you know. And so this is part of like Connecticut doing their part to realize that uh, eventually, like if we don't start start doing sustainable farming, there is going to be no farming. There is going to be no food. Yeah. So it's helping us. It was a, a really good grant to help a lot of people, and there was a lot of other bigger grant facilities that received grants so they can distribute smaller grants to smaller farmers to help with this problem and this, you know, mm-hmm. to help curb this a little bit. Connecticut is actually doing a wonderful job with agriculture, I will say, and they stand behind their agriculture in Connecticut, and they're strongly helping us and backing us up. They're actually releasing another round of grants for bean processes because the state of Connecticut has realized that. There's only a few of us. There's only four USDA slaughterhouses in the state of Connecticut. You're not, one of them. Yes, correct. And not all of them do beef. Okay. So some of them just do pork or lambs or goats, and then the rest, the three of us do beef. So they're starting to realize that there's a problem with that and that the processing times are behind and we're backed up because you can essentially only do so much work in a day. Right. We're, we're not working 15 hours or 24-hour days. Yeah. like. People have lives and families that they have to go home to. And so they're starting to realize, so they're going to allot some money to us if we apply for the grant properly and receive it to help um, strengthen our facilities. And so we can kind of curb this. So because they're realizing that farmers don't have a place for their animals to go to be processed, they're not going to raise them. Yeah. Like you can't, you, what do you do with a product if you can't have it taken care of? Right. You know, like, 
You can't be a soybean farmer if you don't have a soybean market. Yeah. You can't be a bee farmer if you don't have a, pro- a place to process them. Like right. it just doesn't work out. And nobody's going to travel to New York or Mass or Rhode Island. And if we, if we're not here in Connecticut, then people will, well, some people will do that, you know, but smaller people will just stop doing it. And then at what point does it not become economically feasible to drive two and a half hours to have to drop one animal off to be processed? Yeah. You know, it's just not feasible for a lot of people. So Connecticut's realizing that. And so they're they're starting to back us up, which is great. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff we can go into. <laughs> but they're they're making it, they're trying to make it easier for people like us and local farmers that are trying to do the right thing. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm not a fan of most things that Connecticut does. So the fact that they're doing this part yeah. right, I'll I'll yes. I'll give them that part. Yeah. So it's a, yeah. So we're so then there's also so that's part of the slaughterhouse processing, and then with the store processing, speed bumps, and when Michael left us, he didn't leave us in a great position. Okay. Uh, my uncle was a man of his own path. Okay. He took. So he either, either loved him or hated him. There was no in-between with that man. Okay. And so he uh, he did things his own ways, and he wasn't financially responsible all the time with things and so it left us in an awkward position that you know I had been running the slaughterhouse for for the last five and a half years and then all of a sudden he passed on us suddenly and then all of a sudden now I'm running everything and so plus so we have Bristol Beef, Southington Meat Company and we have a farm in Southington that's called Sleepy Hall Farm but besides all of that I already have my own business which is called Heavenly Smoke Barbecue which I run on the weekends which has been postponed for a little bit because I'm so consumed yeah. with everything else that consumes my life with the other right. three businesses I have in the food truck. So last July, when he left us, I was still doing everything. Like, I was running my food truck. I had uh, gigs booked all the way through December. Yeah. And so I can't just tell people no. Right. And then I was running the slaughterhouse, trying to run the store and keep everybody happy. And, you know, I took care of just the actual physical work end of it where my uncle did the logistics end of it of okay. like picking up animals, going down to Pennsylvania, you know, taking care of the hay fields. Like he did all that stuff. I worried about the slaughterhouse. And that was one thing off his plate. And that was it. And now I have to at one point so I hired an operations manager in September. And okay. he's been a godsend for me. Yeah. <laughs> he's taken a lot of stuff off my plate. But for a while there, like I was legitimately working 18 hours a day. Yeah. You know, by the time I Go to go to the slaughterhouse, take care of that. Get those guys up and running. Then I gotta go down to Sellington, go down to the store, get those guys up and running, make sure they don't need anything. I will say Johnny at the store is great and the other crew down there, they are pretty much self sustained. But you know, I can't not go there either. Right, I mean right. I have to go and check on things yep. and order products for them and other supplies and miscellaneous things, repair things. It's, the building's ancient. Yeah. So it's always something going on there. We're slowly revamping it and trying to, as you can tell, you've been in. Yeah. We're starting to clean it up and get some other things done. So there's always a fire summers, and they got to go to the farm and feed the cows. And then, you know, then they got to go shopping, buy stuff for the food truck. And so, and then somewhere in between all that, I managed to cut the 240 acres of hay. <laughs> Wait, you cut it? Yes. <laughs> yes. There was nobody else doing it. It was me. Like, so, like, it was crazy. And then in between all that, 
I'm going to drive in an hour to go pick up cattle at somebody's place up, you know, or running this here, running that there. It's just. And you also have a wife and son. And I have a wife <laughs> and I have a wife and two year old. So it's last summer, like, I don't even know how I did it. I look back at it and I'm like, how did I survive that? Like, I don't even know if I could do that again. What I did last year, if I could do that right now. You would do it if you had to. I, I guess you just find, because there's a will, there's a why. Right. And this has this business has been going for 100 years. Right. It was not going to die with me. And exactly. It's not going to die with me. Exactly. You know? So we're at the point now where things are, we're starting to look out of the hole we were left in. We're okay. almost there. Okay. So things are coming around with the new clientele coming in the store, which helps dramatically. You know, it's paying off some of the back bills that we still owe a little bit, which we're almost there. And it's just building a future for us. And eventually, hopefully, I plan to leave it to my son mm-hmm. down the line, you know. God, God willingly. Yeah. Well, to start, but to start an empire, you have to start from the ground up, and that's where we're kind of left. We were left at ground level, you know, picking up the pieces, and we're getting there. People are starting to realize it. We just had a great compliment the other day. A farmer that calls us regularly, my um, operation owner, picked the phone. Hello, this is Mr. Beef. How can I help you? He hung up and called back because he thought he called the wrong phone number because there was somebody so polite picking up the phone. He didn't realize he called in the right place. Like, like just that alone says something, you know? Yeah. Things are things are going on. There's been speed bumps here and there. You know, it's not one thing, it's something else. Eversource single-handedly kills me every month. Yeah, for those who don't who aren't in Connecticut, Eversource is the electric and gas company, and they're, like, the sole supplier, and it's, it's, it's bad in Connecticut. Yeah. It's bad. So, so we've changed suppliers. We keep... Changing suppliers and operations managers really good about checking yeah. rates and swapping things when they need to. But we still pay like almost $6,000 a month to Eversource between all the facilities. That's sickening. Isn't it? It's That's disgusting. Sickening. It's disgusting. That's disgusting. It is. And I'm sure like in the summer, the prices probably go up because the coolers and the freezers have to work harder. And then you have air con- like. Yeah. 110%. Oh, man. It's crazy. It's. Yeah. And then Eversource. It kills me when you hear the Eversource commercials, and it's like paid for by customers, and I'm like, I didn't agree to this. Yes, I do not. We don't need any more commercials. Just no, stop. Exactly. <laughs> we know we pay thousands of dollars a year to yeah. every year. Like we know you're there, Eversource. We don't need a commercial to remind us that we're paying you more money. Well, is it? I always get this wrong. Is it Wallingford? That Wallingford. it's like their own electric company. Correct. And so, and I'm going to make up numbers here for a second. If a house in the state of Connecticut, besides Wallingford, is paying $200 a month, and Wallingford, they're paying, like, $75 a month. Correct. Like, I have multiple friends that live in Wallingford, and I am, like, I wasn't so Bristol Southampton based. I would pack everything up and yeah, go to Wallingford. Yeah. It's crazy. And there's no delivery fee there. It's just straight usage fee. Why can't the rest of the state get on board? Yeah, exactly. Like, I see this delivery fee, and it kills me, because, like, Okay, I'm paying for you to deliver, but like, what are you actually doing? Because the poles and the wires outside of any one of my facilities have been there for 50 years. Like, what happens when you drive down the road and there's like another pole holding up a pole because they didn't want to fix the original pole, even though it's falling over, so they're just going to prop it up. I know. So, like, what are they doing with us? Like, it's disgusting when the delivery fee is more than the usage fee. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how is that possible? Well, and even the other suppliers for the um, delivery fees. They're a little bit less, but not like much. not much. And I'm like, not, like I've had a hard time wrapping my head around this. 
Like, I thought Michigan was bad because that's where I'm from. Um, no, y'all, Connecticut's worse. Connecticut's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, they're not small business. Connecticut is not small business friendly. No, it is not. It's not. Luckily, we don't have a mortgage on either one of our facilities. Okay. So that's that's single handling savings because I don't know how I can afford six thousand dollars for Eversource and then pay a mortgage plus all my supplier fees and like paper foods and you know. But you still have property tax, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, still, so it's it's, it, it's still something, but it's not that's manageable. But imagine paying like another two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars a month that somebody can pay for the properties for commercial lots. Like it's crazy. We wouldn't be here. I, I don't think we could survive it. Well, I remember when I moved to Connecticut. So in Michigan, when you buy your car, because you're purchasing it, you pay the tax then, mm-hmm. right? And you have your registration and whatnot. But then there's no other yearly property tax on a vehicle that yeah. doesn't exist. And so I get to Connecticut and they're like, I get this bill in the mail and it's like, you owe thousand dollars for the year for your car. And I'm like, what do you, what is this? And they're like, oh yeah, that's how Connecticut does it. And it's all dependent on the city you live in. Mm-hmm. It's called the mill rate. Right? I guess that, you know, char- and I'm like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. This, like this, this is stupid. I, I'm not a fan. No, it's I'm not, not a like, fan. Not, <laughs> and, they're, and they're taxing us on something that we paid tax once for when we were initially about Then they're taxing us every year on money they already taxed us on. Right. Like, and no. on top of that, we're being taxed, state tax and our paychecks. Income tax, which is fine, but like, and then you go and buy food and being taxed on that as well, or clothing, or like, it's how much tax money do they need? Where's it all going? Y'all, I just want to point out we literally separated from England over like a two percent tax on tea. Um, yeah, there's supposed to be no taxation with representation, and there's a whole lot of taxation that people don't agree to. Um, well, like, (laughs) they tax you if you sell your what. Yeah, it's like a hundred dollar tax if you ta- if you sell your car, you're supposed to pay them another tax because you sold it. Like you've been taxing me for the entire time I owned it when I bought it, and now you're taxing me because I sold it. I hate the government. I, I hate the government. This yeah. is this. So, well, like speaking of taxes, last year just in vehicle property taxes, my own pickup truck, and mm-hmm. then the livestock trailers, mm-hmm. and everything else. Mm-hmm. We paid like sixty eight hundred dollars just in that. So it's like it's just it keeps adding up, you know. And then you have insurance for everything because of what we do. The insurance there's only a few insurance companies that insure people like me and what we mm-hmm. do. And then so I pay almost thirty thousand dollars a year in insurance between the three facilities or four facilities. And like some of these things that I get, right? Like I understand insurance. I understand um, some of these, but like the vast majority, like 99% of these taxes and fees and whatever, I don't get, like I legitimately do not understand. Yeah. It's wild. So, I mean, it's just something else. That's another speed bump is, you know, it, it all adds up to the bottom line is, this is what makes or breaks these small companies. It's, and that's it, why you don't see many facilities like us around because they can't afford to be in business anymore. Well, and if you guys wonder why small businesses will, you know, I, I've seen um, a local small business, I think it was Kettle Bagel, that like if you pay cash, you get a discount because when you guys pay with your credit cards, like we as in like consumers pay with our credit cards, 
it's not us who pays the fee as the consumer. It's you guys. Correct. And depending upon the um, system you're using and everything else, it could be up to 8% of the total that you have to pay to mm-hmm. accept the money from that person. Mm-hmm. So this is my little PSA to people. If you have a small business, use cash, please like use cash. Um, you know, that's why the government was all about $600 or more on Venmo. You need to tell us like to just pay cash people um, and get the government out of your lives. If that's like just a little thing that you can do because they eat, they eat you alive. They, they eat you so alive. We did not take credit cards up until two years ago. And I forced my all into it because at Christmas time and Easter time, we specialized in Kibasa. We shut down yep. production for Kibasa. So this year, Easter made 8,300 pounds of Kibasa. And so people would come in, a lot of the old timers would come with cash and only have 50 bucks or whatever, 100 bucks. And they'd be like, well, I'll take $50 worth, you know? And so you'd have to weigh it up and see where they're at. Yeah. But now we started telling people, hey, we take credit cards. Now it's like, oh, well, throw me 10 sticks, or it used to be eight, eight sticks right. plus. Now it's 10 sticks, it's 12 sticks. So it's helped our business grow because of the convenience of it. Right. But it's still, we're still giving money away for free. Yeah. So, I mean, which still, it adds up at the end of the year. It's quite a bit of money at the end of the year, but we also, it also helps draw retail customers in too. So oh, like, it has this plus and it has this down, but. If it's you, actually have cash, and then they don't have to give any of it away. Yeah. Because you know? we're selling for ten something ten dollars. We pay eight percent on that. You know, like we didn't get ten dollars. No. No. You know, on top of it, there's fees and then there's service charges as well. So it it adds up. Yeah, I, I know many people. They have this, and and I get it. This grand idea to want to be an entrepreneur and be their own boss and things like that, but. A lot of these things that we're talking about, regardless of the state that you're in, all of these things, not all of them, many of them still apply. Exactly. And you don't realize, you know, there's a fee to uh, register your LLC. There's a fee for insurance. There's a fee for if you take credit cards, if you accept something online, if you have a website. The craziest thing to me in the state of Connecticut is, okay, I understand there's a fee for registering your LLC. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But to get a sales and use tax permit, which is saying that you pay sales tax on your products. Luckily, we don't charge tax because it's the meat. So right. it's not a prepared food, so there is no tax. But we still have to have a sales and use tax for our payroll and everything else. Okay. I have to pay them yep. $200 to get my sales and use tax so I can pay them tax money. Yep. They're charging <laughs> me money so I can willingly give them money. It's totally beyond. Like, how does that work out? Like, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm right? trying to pay my taxes, and you're charging me $200 to tell me I can pay my taxes. Right. And you wonder why you always hear about these companies in the news that they got busted for not paying sales tax or they were they were on a registered LLC. Because to be fully legal as a small business, you have to put it down like 10 grand initially before you make any money to make money, and then yeah. they're going to take half of it. Exactly. It's crazy. And so like, I really understand. Like, my uncle didn't do a lot of things like he should have. On the books, yeah. On the books. Yeah. And, like, I used to always criticize him a lot. Like, Art, you really need to do this. You really need to do that. I, I, I'm really sure to see where he's coming from. Though. You know, like, it's it's very hard to make an honest living. 
mm-hmm. being your own boss. Yeah. You know, it's, I see a lot of people, they see that pipe chain of being your own boss and, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then three years later, they're like, forget it, dude. I'm going back to work for somebody else. Way right. less stress. Phone never stops. It's 730 last night. And I'm home with my family. Just put, getting ready to put my two and a half row on. One of my sales reps calls me for one of my suppliers. Oh, man, I messed up. Oh, my. Okay, what's going on? Your order is supposed to be coming today. Well, it's supposed to be coming tomorrow. I messed up now. It's not going to be until Thursday. And so now I got a short for product for my store that people are expecting. I told people it's supposed to be coming in today. So I tell people, yeah, we'll have your stuff ready for you on Thursday. The big chicken order I have coming in. You know, so now I have to call my customers and tell them, hey, the product won't be in until Thursday morning. You're going to have to wait till Thursday afternoon or Friday. Like it backs everything up. And people like every day, it's something. Like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not just oh, once in a blue every day or something. Yeah. Or you order something like hams. Like we order a ton of hams through this one supplier. We only buy one one certain mm-hmm. type of hams, live or die by them. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. We always have. They're a great product. I've been trying to get a couple of hams for a customer that special ordered them. It's been a month to get them. I still don't have them. They're supposed to come this week. But I'm like, hey, where are these hams? I need these hams. I got a customer waiting for me. Well, the company that makes them, they don't really care about them unless it's Easter or Christmas or a major holiday. So they were supposed to be in this week, but they got shorted us. So they'll be in next week. So now it's going to be five weeks before I get this customer or this product. And that's nothing that's, I don't have any control over. Yeah. Like, how are you supposed to run a business? Like, when you can't even get the product into the store that you're ordering. And that they're not giving me a discount. Saying, well, it'll be here, it'll be here. We're going to charge you full price. What am I supposed to tell my customers? Right. Because then you end up losing business over something you can't control. Exactly. And I worked, um, I I helped out a small pet food business for a bit. And there was a good few months where, because all of the pet food went through like four or five distributors in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And you could only order certain brands from certain places. And it was a whole thing. But if they didn't have it, they just didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And then customers would come in being irate, like, my dog needs food. And we're like, we know we're sorry, yeah. but we don't, like. Can't sell you something I don't have. Right. Exactly. It's not that I don't want to sell you it. Right. I don't physically have it to sell it to you. Right. You know? And that, so people have been realizing that and that dog food thing. And we sell the raw dog food, which part yeah. of the like, you buy it and you purchase it and you understand it. And it's become so popular because it's readily available. The problem is more people are finding about it. Now, I'm like, okay. I, I literally, I'm buying full animal, full beef cows just processing as dog food. Yeah. Animals that should be used for human consumption, I'm processing for dog food because I literally can't, because we make it out of trimmings. Yeah. So everything we trim up off the animals that we process for yeah. personal consumption, farmers and all that mm-hmm. other stuff. We take all our trimmings, and that's what we make our dog food of. But now we're literally buying whole cows. I just brought down a whole cow from my slaughterhouse to my store, and they're going to process it for dog food. An 1,100-pound animal that should be used for somebody's food, for their steaks and their tables and their hamburgers, for their own human consumption is being processed for dog food because people can't get dog food in the stores anymore. Or it's become so unreliable that they switch to us because they know we're consistent. I used to get raw dog food, I won't name names, from another company, mm-hmm. um, a, another small business. And 
I noticed that my dog was getting sick every time she ate it. It was raw dog food. And my, the only thing I could think of after like looking at the packages and stuff is that because it wasn't for human consumption, they weren't caring if it stayed cold and they weren't caring if it thawed and then got refrozen and thawed and got refrozen. Mm -hmm. And so it was getting too warm and bacteria were growing on it and they were just refreezing it and selling it. Um, And I actually had uh, someone call and they're like, Hey, like, you know, my dog is having these symptoms. And I was like, that's weird. Cause my dog is too. And they ate the same thing. And the business owner told me to tell her like, Oh, it was totally fine. And it was just a fluke thing. And, but I ended up texting her and I was like, it's like, it's my dog is doing the same thing. Like mm-hmm. you might want to, you know, go buy bulk meat and just buy a liver and make your own basically. Like, yeah. So we, we get a ton of phone calls for that, especially at the slaughterhouse. People looking for bulk organs and we don't sell them like that because a lot of stuff that we process through the slaughterhouse, people want their tongue, they want their livers. It's going to farmers markets, going to people's homes. People are used, they mean their entire lives. That's what they, they want them. We do have some customers that don't want them and that's where our product comes from for our dog food. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's tough to get that stuff and people think like, oh, I'll just, I'll fall them up on 50 pounds of heart. An average heart weighs like five to six pounds. Like, the only yeah. animals have to kill you 50 pounds of heart. Yeah. And what are you for everybody else? Like, I, I just, some people, sometimes people get upset. I'm like, well, I thought you were a slaughterhouse. We are, but we're not a high volume. We right. do, you know, we do 12 to 15 beef a week. You know, and that's a lot. And then some like we do 15 to 25 hogs, you know. So we process, I mean, there's only a few of us. It's a small little facility. You know, we're considered very small, according to the USDA. That's what we're classified as small, the very small slaughterhouse. And we're very small. You know, there's three people that work there. That's it. You know, everything is done. It's us. Yeah. You know, we know what's being done. We know it's being handled properly. There is no get warm, get cold, get warm, get cold with us. It's just down in the cooler. I think it's transported in a refrigerated truck. And you see the walking cooler right there on the dock with the rails running right into it. Right. You know, so you've seen it firsthand. Yeah. So, like, these guys are literally, I rolled this cow out of the reefer truck into the cooler, and when they're ready to process, it comes out of the cooler right onto the cut bench. Right. You know, it's being processed right there. Ground, cutting it and grinding it and putting it in the bags as, as they do it. Yep. You know, so our we do make a quality product. And that's what we stand by. We'd rather have a limited amount of it, but at least it's quality and people will come back for it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I've gone in a couple of times and I'd be like, oh, hey, do you have this? And John would be like, no, but we'll have it in three days or we'll have it tomorrow. We'll have it. And I would much rather be told that than get subpar. Yeah. We don't do subpar. Like. Not an option. I just, I just reconfigure the meal plan that week and Mm -hmm. I do it later in the week. Like I, I don't. I will not buy meat from even a big box store, like yeah. like Costco or BJ's, like a membership store. And I certainly won't buy it from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Like, I won't do it. No, it's, <laughs> it's funny. Up until like six months ago, my wife was still buying like meat from a grocery store. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and I was like, her name's Bren. Uh, I come home one day and I see butcher paper in the fridge. I'm like, 
I come out holding the butcher paper, whatever's wrapped up in it. Yeah. And then I go, what the hell is this? She goes, oh, it's going to be dinner. I go, why do you buy meat from somebody else? <laughs> like, do you forget your husband owns a USDA facility and a processing <laughs> a butcher shop with a reply? Did you forget that whole aspect in your life? She goes, well, you know, I figured that you're going to sell that stuff to make a profit. I go, friend, it's easier for me to, like, when we get our stuff, to take a few steaks home. And, yeah, so I don't make profit off that money. But it's still saving us money because I'm not paying anybody else a premium price. I'm paying wholesale price to myself. Right. Like, so now, so now I get the once a week. To, I have six messages a lot about bring home this, bring this, my shopping list of me after bring home. But like, she's like, she felt bad because she thought she was taking it from me, yeah, from the customers. I'm like, we well, have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of anybody else. But like, you know, I, I'm just I, hearing a point I, of view, but I, at the same time, like, that's wild. Like, I, yeah, I always use this as a reference for people. Think of it when you're on an airplane. What do they tell you? Put your own mask on before you put something on this. Because you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of somebody else. Yeah. As simple as that. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it's just wow. So, yeah. So, there's no specific ones there with that. And then moving on to the other aspect of it, the staging farm that we have. Yeah. So, that has been a major consumer of time in my life. I've tried to dedicate any free time I have in my life that right now. Because I have a good crew at the Slaughterhouse now. Yeah. I have a good crew at Slaughter Meat Company. Mm-hmm. You know, so then they can kind of, I just check in on them in the mornings when I'm passing through yep. or like, call me up at the farm. I'm always available. I'm only 15 to 10 minutes away from yep. where, where we are. So I've been, the farm has been a typical Yankee peddler farm that you think of. Like you drive by, you just see Farm equipment everywhere. It looks like a junkyard. <laughs> bomb explosion of nonsense has happened. So it sits in a beautiful location in Sonnington, in a beautiful neighborhood on a somewhat busy road. There's million dollar homes and a butter property, the whole nine years. Yep. And then there's this giant eyesore. <laughs> like, like it kills me. So I've been dedicating any free time or any free money that I have to that to clean the place up. So I've taken four 40-yard metal dumpsters worth of scrap metal out of there already. Just junk. Dumpsters, I'm, I can't tell you how many construction dumpsters are just trash and junk I've taken out of there. The barn was so full of just nonsense. Yeah. You couldn't even walk into it. Like, I yeah. couldn't put an animal in there if I had to. Yeah. Never mind a person. I don't think I can fit a dog in there. Never mind a cow. Yeah. Know? So we've been, we got all that cleaned out. We had our first calf born there oh. this springtime, right around April. But I've bought a few more mothers, pairs, mothers and calves together. So we have, we have eight cows total there now. Three of them are calves, five of them are, are females, three of them are mothers. The other two, one's not bred, one is bred through the calf out. We have some hogs, we have some chickens. So, and so I've been actively working on that to clean that place up. So we can make it a vital part of it. It's a vital part of our operation. Right. But it's like the way my uncle had it, it was running at 20%. Right. You know, right. so it's maybe at like 60, 70% now. So I'm almost there. Nice. It's getting there. 
slowly. It's been the bane of my existence, but one day I'll see it. It'll be all painted up, all the fence lines. I've started working on fence lines the last few weeks. Yeah. Just never ending. I have a super random question for you. Um, Kids ask the darndest things, right? Sometimes they want the most off-the-wall thing that you're like, you want what? That's why I have pigs, because I have a two-year-old. Um, my stepdaughter really wants to milk a cow. If you know someone, you can tell me off-air once we stop recording. She really, really wants to milk a cow. Mm-hmm. Um, She's been asking for like a year and a half to milk a cow. I've tried to find a place in Connecticut that will allow her to milk a cow. So if you can think of a place. Uh, you could probably call it's a learning it's a farm active working farm and learning facility agricultural learning facility okay okay that's called um is it new pond farm okay it's in redding connecticut so it's down towards like oh, that area fine. but they're great people and they're an agricultural learning center so they may be able to help you with that okay so all right should, but is there should be more like then there's also like Fleming farm and that's in Simsbury, like they're educational agricultural centers. Yeah, they have different animals, so people can come and see them. They're not like just see a cow in a pasture somewhere, and right. they can come up to them and they can touch them, they can pet them, they can see them. It's almost like a petting zoo, but yeah, a learning center on top of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they may be able to help you there. Yeah, kids are kids are crazy. I was like... so I I had I had plans of getting bogs like maybe next year. Yeah, yeah. Farm, but my two year old son was just like. What kind yeah, of... Are we gonna get pigs? Can we get peas? <laughs> you know, like, how do you say no? Yeah, how do you say no? What kind of dogs do you have? Uh, they're they're crossbreeds, the Yorkshire okay. Land Racers. Okay. So, and uh, I picked them up last Wednesday. They're small. They're only like forty five pounds, so they're like probably a couple months old. So I picked them up in the afternoon. And I came through daycare, picked him up from daycare with a livestock trailer. And he's like, "Daddy, daddy, trailer, trailer." So I was like, Sam, I got a present for you. And he goes, you have a llama? I was like, yeah, I don't have a llama. Yeah, I'm like, nobody I know owns a llama. Where did you even get that from? I'm like, I got the piggies you asked for. He goes, piggies. <laughs> and so he came with me. We came and dropped him off, put him in the barn, got him all settled in. And then that night, put him to bed. He's like, daddy. Thanks for the piggies. Like, you, know, yeah, like, you know, so he comes. I have a buddy seat in my tractor. So whenever I'm at the farm or in the hay fields, yeah, put him around his little buddy seat. Gets a ride in the tractor with That's me. That's great. He's growing up the farm life. That's one of the things I said earlier that I love because yeah. it's going to instill some morals and some values and some work ethic. You know, as a young age, yeah. And hopefully, they'll like it enough to continue it as an adult. Yeah, you know, can't force them to do it, but they can just. Maybe steer them towards that direction a little bit. Absolutely. So listen, I can totally see the next animal you're getting is a llama, and you're gonna be like, I can't even, no. like, I, I can't even no. eat this. Like, it's, we're not doing. You're you're gonna end up. No, doing, you are. You're gonna have that. I, I have to pull my foot down somewhere because I can't have an entire zoo yard in my like. I just can't. You just wait. You just no, wait. I have to stop somewhere. And like, at one point, does it become like not economically feasible? Because if they're not. Like, at least the hogs and the cattle down the line yeah, they'll yeah. all be processed. Yeah. So what I'm doing now, I'm in the beginning stages of building my own herd. Okay. My uncle had, like, 30 cows there. They weren't the greatest. They were, a lot of them were older and stuff, so I shipped all of them except three of them out to auction. See you mm-hmm. later. Like, they weren't even quality enough for me to kill them for my likings. Mm-hmm. Some customers, so I just shipped them out, started over, basically. Mm-hmm. A lot of them 
is no longer with us. I saved originally using my freezer. <laughs> yeah, but uh, two of them that were there, one of them still, one of them's pregnant, and one of them's on the capped out. Okay. And so I um, keep buying females, and I just, we bought a mother and a bull. So next year he can start the process. Yeah. And this year I'm gonna buy a, a full grown bull or at least some from one of my friends or something. Yeah. Yeah. So the next year, by the time, so they'll be not, they'll be pregnant, and they'll have out like June or July next next year if I get the bull when I want to, and then that way it'll still give my calf bull time to grow and yep. and keep the herd alive. So depending on what we receive in the next year for calves, is we decide what we do with them. But this year I have all heifers, all females, so they'll all be moving down the line to be pregnant to produce more cattle for me. And as they get older and as they get start to wean off their cattle, I'll move them to the slaughterhouse or to auction or whatever. So it's like a game you have to play. Okay. Never ending. And the difference between a bull and a steer is one castrated. Can, one castrated. Okay. Yep. And which one is castrated? The steer. The steer. Okay. And those are just typically used for beef and that's it. Correct. Okay. So and the heifers once they are done calving out, depending, like, the one that calved out that was original, I'm undecided if I'm going to keep her, because she has a slight attitude problem. Freezer camp. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't want to, but I, she's forcing me to push her in that direction. Yeah. Because she's just, one minute, she's perfectly fine. You can walk by her, you can cut her. Her name's Diamond. And she had her calf's name is Jade. So... Well, uh, like one day she's perfectly fine, and literally the next day, or like even a half an hour later, you'll be out there. Next thing you know, you hear her snorting and hooting behind you, and she's trying to run you down. She has some rough edges. <laughs> she's a diamond in the rough heart. I'll tell you that. Uh, you know, it's just a fact of life and fact of farming. I don't want her to go, but I'm feeling she's going to have to because I can't. I can't risk somebody else being there and getting hurt from her. Right. So, yeah. It's just a liability, but she's a beautiful cow and she makes a beautiful baby. So it's like, that's the other part. And she's young enough to have a couple more. Oh, but if she sticks around, then she'll teach her children to be snotty. And I don't want to have snotty calves around either. This is true. So it's a vicious cycle. Yes. Yeah. And then like, so we do hay. 240 acres of hay. How much hay that is? I don't know. Put any football fields for me. <laughs> Well, I'll use this as a location. I'll okay. tell you where one of my hay fields are. Okay. Where Kava is on, on West Street 229. Yeah, yeah. Those hay fields right there behind it. Okay. So that one field you see behind Kava yeah. makes 800 square bales. Okay. We do two cuts a year. That's a medium sized field. That's a lot of hay. Yeah, it is. Like it's literally a full week's worth of sitting in a tractor and doing nothing but mowing, just knocking it down. Never mind tending it, windrowing it, and actually bailing it. And then once it's bailed, you have to handle it all. It's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Like, I feel like just doing hay and having a farm would be a full-time job. And you have, like, three businesses. and Yes. So that's where, and that's where back to back to full circle on the speed bumps. Yeah. That's why it's called speed bumps. Yes. Because we're back into another speed bump because it takes me away from time from the other stuff. But that's where my operation manager comes in. So he helps me on that end of it and keeps the day-to-day stuff going for me. So it frees me up to go sit in a tractor for a week. Yeah. You know, it sounds fun and great and everything. You know, we have a nice tractor. It's 
close cab and air condition on the radio. So you're just hanging out, driving in circles, but it's a week's worth. Yeah. Driving in circles. Yeah. Like literally. Twice a year, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes three, depends on the weather. Yeah. How much rain we get, you know? So it's just never ending. It never stops. Because just when you think you're done, you look back and you're like, oh, I have to do it all over again with a rake. And like, rake it on. So you cut it. And the flops over, and then we have this other machine that's called a cutter. So it's got a bunch of arms and circles. You might have seen them, they spin around super fast, they throw the hair up, the hay up in the air. And when it goes through this thing, it's got these fingers on it, these long metal fingers are like 12 inches long. There's two of them side by side. And so they hit the hay, they break the hay, and they crack it. Okay. So it lets the moisture out, and then it also aerates it up in the air and makes it nice and fluffy. But you can't bail it like that because a bailer needs like a shoot, like a like in a great mm-hmm. line. This is not all over the place. But now you have to drive over it again with another rake that spins around in a circle and rakes it all to one side. So it puts it into a wind well. And then you have to drive the bailer. So we're at four vehicles now. Yeah. Okay. And then you have to drive the bailer over it and that actually makes the bale hay. And then so now there's either square bales or round bales. We do both. We make about 800 square bales for us, for the slaughterhouse, and then for the farm, for backups. Then we round bale the rest. But bales of hay are like 50 to 80 pounds. So you can pick those up, square bales. The round bales those are really big. 1,800 pounds. Yeah. 2,500 pounds, yeah. depending on how much moisture content's in them. And so now you need another vehicle with another attachment to move those. And on top of that, you need a trailer and a wa- or a wagon, put all the square, all the square bales on to transport them. And they're all hand- everything's handled by hand. Except for the round bales, which you're still in a tractor. You're still driving by every single round bale. And on top of that, you wrap the round bales. So they, there's another machine that you put bales on, and it wraps them in the white plastic so they look like marshmallows. And let me guess, the salt takes diesel? Yes. Yeah, so if y'all want to know why stuff is so expensive, that is just for hay. Yeah. And that feeds animals, so that's part of the reason meat is yeah. so expensive. And paying, I think diesel fuels down to three, I saw it today for three forty seven. Okay. And that's cheap. Yeah, that's cheap. Dirt cheap. But, yeah. So I have a 500 gallon transfer tank at hay time. I put it in the back of my truck, fill it up wherever I can find the cheapest diesel, and I take it off and it lives in the hay field for hay season. So I can just pull the tractor up and fill it when I need to. You ever yeah. have it where you're at the gas station and it like maxes out the amount of gas you can, or do you just fill up like where the semis fill up? Oh, no, just wherever. Whoever has the cheapest diesel. Okay. Like, it's just a regular like, Power pump, or if it's, well, it's, I, it's never cheap, we're at the truck stop. Well, because I remember um, there's been a few times my husband goes to fill up his pickup truck, mm-hmm. and at a hundred dollars, yeah. regardless of how much in gallons, at a hundred dollars, it cuts them off. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you just take it out and put the car back in. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. How long does it take you to fill up a 500 gallon tank of diesel? Long enough. <laughs> long enough that people are looking at me and they're like, "Why is he still here?" <laughs> yeah. So it's because you get what a hundred dollars is like twenty eight gallons of fuel, I think, right now. Something like that. So yeah, oh wow, oh, that's wow. a lot of money. That, that's a lot, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, we don't use all five hundred gallons of the clip, but right, you know, it's there, and we have some left over for next time or whatever. But mm-hmm. still, still take everything's time and money. Like when people say time is money, it legitimately is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've averaged since. My uncle passed 
in July with all the running around that I do now to facilitate everything mm-hmm. I'm running, I'm averaging like six to 7,000 miles a month. And I never, I never lose Connecticut, really. Yeah. Like, okay, so I drive down to Pennsylvania like once a month or every five to six weeks, but still, that's not that far. Right. It's a couple hundred miles, but still. Like, I'm averaging that just in Bristol and Southington. That's insane, because Bristol and Southington are, like, max 20 minutes apart, depending upon yeah. what parts you go to. I, I probably drive 100 miles a week just up and down West Street, 229. <laughs> it's nuts. It just never stops. You're always on the move. Yeah. And then by the time you get something done, and, like, another thing, like, so at the farm, I've been trying to clean it up. So, see, people have been noticing the changes. It's been noticeable. Yeah, yeah. I used to, like, during the winter months, there wasn't a lot of room in the barnyard because I was actively working. But now I've cleared some room. I have now pulled my truck in and literally have to hide my truck in one of the buildings or behind the building, behind a piece of equipment. Because when everybody sees my truck there, everyone in the neighborhood thinks it's social hour. So they pull in or they, like, stop the gate or flag me down. And I'm like, can I help you? Oh, what's going on? Who are you? It's something like... You see me actively working, like I'm in a piece of equipment, actively working, and you're flagging me down just to say hello. Like, I get the neighborly feel, and you're trying to be polite, but I'm trying to get something done. Like, please come back another day. Like, I I don't want to be rude because they are my neighbors, but right. this is like, this isn't social hour. Just because you're riding around in the middle of the day doing nothing doesn't mean I am. Right. You know, like, I'm actively trying to work here. Yeah. It's crazy. And then springtime, speed talking about sleeps. When people wasting your time. Everyone, because there's a lot of manure there that's been in piles, that's severely decomposed and composted. And some of it's beautiful jet black compost, topsoil. Yep. Great for gardens. Yep. So everybody wants compost for the garden in the springtime. But they think it's free. Like, it's not free. Yeah. It's $50 a scoop. And they're like, that's way too much money. I'm like, okay, well, go drive down to Home Depot, go buy all your top soil carbonure and bags, and when you get to 50 bucks, let me know if it's as much as a scoop that I was going to give you. Somebody came down, we called somebody who'd been harassing me about getting it, and then we were super busy, it was right around the Easter time, making all that 8300 yeah, yeah. pounds of pasta. I'm like, I can help you after Easter. So we yeah. finally squared up with this guy. He's going to meet us at the farm at 12 o'clock on a Saturday. Shows up 25 minutes late. So during that time, I get the manure ready and have a scoop. So I'm like, I just dump it in this guy's truck and be done with him. Be out of my life until next year. Mm-hmm. So we tell him it's 50 bucks. He goes, I'll give you 35. I'm like, no. Absolutely not. It's $50. We just talked to you 25 minutes ago. Or an hour ago, because yeah. you're 25 minutes late. Yeah. And I talked to you an hour ago, and you said you're going to be here. And we told you it was 50 bucks, and you say yes, no problem, on the phone. And then you get down here, and you want to heckle me. Well, it's just common, or it's just shit. I go, where does this shit come from? It's manure. It comes from the cows. They have to eat to produce it, which means I have to buy grain and produce hay, which all cost me money right. to give you this product for free? No. Yeah. He goes, well, it's $35 a month. I go, you know what? Leave. Get off the property. Don't ever call me again. Don't ever show up on this property ever again. If I see you, I'll call the police for trespassing. Like, I don't have time for people that much. Do you think, like, $15 is going to make or break you at that point? Right. 
But fifteen dollars to me, like I had to fire up my tractor, which is diesel fuel, my time to be there away from my family or doing something else, for you to heckle me over fifteen dollars. Well, and here's the thing: I, do you advertise that no. you? So people just want it. Yes. Okay. Come to me so, for the product. So, so I feel like that's the difference between like your meat store versus because that is an advertised business where you sell meat, mm-hmm. like customer service. It's a legitimate business. People, however, it sounds like are just driving onto your property and being like, "Hey, can I have some of that manure?" Absolutely, one hundred ten percent. Then they that's get mad. Yeah, and then they get mad when I tell them the price, and they don't like yeah. Like it says a lot about. Uh, the state of the world. Exactly. But only we delivered. So some lady wanted some manure. So my operation manager set it up with her. And then she wanted to deliver. Like, I, so I have dump trailers that we use for on the farm for hauling hay yeah. or grain. Or I get produce from a local produce market for my cows. I leave a dump trailer there for them. They fill it, fill it up with their bruise or dental produce or yeah. scraps when they, they make prepared fruit stuff. And so it's great. Subsidized yep. snack for the cows. Yeah. It's full of plenty of sugars. It's all natural produce. Yeah, yeah. So it's great for them. And uh so I'm like, yeah, I have dump trailers, but like I'm not in the delivery service lane. Yeah. Like figure it out. Well this but my operations manager agreed that we would do it. It was only ten minutes on the farm. Then we tell her the delivery price. She's like, Oh, that's way too much money. Well, last time I checked, <laughs> you don't have a pickup truck, a dump truck, or a dump trailer to come get it. Right. So unless you go buy all that stuff, then well, you can have to about the delivery price. Well, because it's the maintenance of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's the fuel and the taxes for the vehicle. It's paying whoever's driving there the time to load the trailer, drive the truck, dump it at your house, drive it. Like, yeah. I feel like when people... Because at first, last year we were looking for soil for our garden. Mm-hmm. And I got a good line on it. Listen, if, if uh, I plant any more, my husband <laughs> might kill me um, if I come home with any more plants. But we were calling around, and I was like, I'm looking at some of these fees, and I'm like, that is a lot for a delivery fee. And then I'm like, but I'm look, then I'm looking at the state, the price of diesel, and I'm like, yeah. well. That makes sense. And, you know, in the company my husband works for, they had to go up in their, you call it like a trip charge or something, and they had to go up for the same price. And people don't want to take that into account. They don't want to no. think about it. It's just they only think about the end product, and they don't consider how it gets to them. They do not. That's crazy. It's a crazy fact. Or like another speed bump is – so. My uncle, like I said, he wasn't mm-hmm. always financially responsible with things. And, like, he'd always do people favors. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll do you a favor. I'll do this or I'll do yep. this or I'll, this is the price, but I'll charge you this mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, so when he passed and a lot of people didn't, a lot of people knew he passed, a lot of people didn't know he passed because okay. some people only come a couple times a year. Right. When they have an animal process, you know, because a whole beef last year, year. Right. So we, there's a lot of one-year customers we have, and they've been coming there forever. And I, I'm okay with it, you know? Yep. Well, they're like, oh, well, Art charging me this, or Art charging me that. Well, he always used to help me out, do me a favor. I go, hey, a lot of things have changed since he's gone. I am not, I am not Art. I run my own business, and favors don't pay the bills. That's what I tell them. I go, where's all the favors that everybody owed Art? Where are they now? 
I don't have a bag full of favors st- stacked up. Right. I can pull a favor out and go, well, you did this for my uncle back in 1993, so I'm going to cash his favor. And like, that, this, when, not- I, when I was and, helping out that pet business for mm-hmm. a little bit, that pet food business, they had gone on vacation. The owner said it was a very, very, very small store. And people would come in and go, oh, well, so-and-so only charged me this. Or so-and-so, when I paid cash, they would never charge me tax or whatever it was. And I would literally be like, I'm not them. Mm-hmm. I like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm Look, sure they I'm did. Getting, I'm getting paid to do a job. And this is the prices. So next time when you come in, bring your receipt back for you. And they'll reimburse you if that's the deal. That's right. what you tell them. Like, Because you don't have the authority to cut deals. No. And that's just like I tell the guys in the sawdust, there's no favors anymore. Because no. favors don't pay your paycheck. Favors no. don't pay every source. No. Yeah. You know? And another thing, like friends, like I have a really good group of friends, like ride or die friends, mm-hmm. six of us that are inseparable. And they come in and they're my bestest of best friends. Like I can call them yep. anytime, anywhere, and they'll always be there for me. Not once do they ever come inside my store. And ask me for a favor or expect a discount. And those are, in, in my opinion, is a true friend. exactly. In my, I completely agree because those are the people that support you, and they mm-hmm. don't expect anything. Mm-hmm. They don't. They understand what you're trying to build, and they fully support you in that. Exactly. And they would never ask for a discount. Exactly. And then if I choose to help them on the price, that's my prerogative. Right. And they don't come in expecting it. No. Or people come in and expect, well, oh, he'll give me a deal. He'll give me. He'll do this or he'll do that. Like, people, the regulars that come in all the time, like, I'll throw them a free steak here and there. Because right. you guys come in all the time. Right. And, like, I'll I'll eventually get that money back down the line. Well, that was, know? like, when Easter. Mm-hmm. My plans had fallen through. I called you up, guys, very last minute. And I was like, do you guys happen to have any hams? And you're like, I don't know. I'll call you in a couple of days, like, when we get a shipment. And, but... I regularly buy from you. I buy bulk orders mm-hmm. of dog food. We come in mm-hmm. probably every two weeks to get meat. Like, and you were like, yeah, honestly, I gave it to you before someone who just randomly asked off the street exactly. because you come in on a regular basis. Yeah. Now, those, I think those you, are the favors we do. Right. You know? Right. And those make sense to me because that, honestly, those keep your customer base. It does. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Like, even with my food truck. I got guys that come every single week, all the time, both days. They come for breakfast and lunch sometimes. Like, those guys, you throw them a sandwich. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, how much does a sandwich or how much does one steak cost? Right, right. It doesn't, you know, really at the end of the day. Nothing that you're going to notice at the bottom line. Right. But what it does is solidify that I know who you are, and I know that you come in here, and I take pride on my customer base, and I appreciate you coming here and spending your money with us every day. Right. You know, or once a week, or whatever you, whoever you are, and whatever you spend with us, you know? And when that happens, the customer's appreciative, but they also don't expect it. Exactly. Well, so that's like the whole other speed of like, friends in the small business world. Your friends don't ask you for favors. No. They don't. You know, people that come and expect something from you, they're not your friend. No. Your friend comes in and just pays what the price is and says, yeah. I'll catch you later. You need a handle or anything? You know? Like, right. Right. So that has been a speed bump along the way of fighting all the old favors that my uncle had, you know, or would do for people. And people accepted it or they didn't. And it is what it is. Like, you know, granted, I want to make my customers happy, but I've learned a long time ago running my food truck. I will never make everybody happy. Nope. And if you try to, 
you'll run yourself ragged. Yes. You can't, you just physically can't do it. Yeah. And it's an unfortunate thing to say, and it doesn't, I don't want it to sound cold-hearted or mean, mm-hmm. but, like, I literally, you can't help everybody all the time. No. And Johnny, as great as Johnny is being, you know, in charge of the store and running it day to day, he runs himself ragged trying to help everybody all the time. And, well, well Jeff, maybe you can get this and we can do this and we'll, we'll do that. But, like, Johnny, it just comes to a point where we have to say, I'm sorry, we don't have that today. Right. We can get it for you. And he never wants to say that, which I, I truly respect. You, yeah, you, I respect you always want to help like the customer. Yeah. But like some days we just can't. And most people understand. Yeah. And if you don't, then I don't have to tell you. You know, we don't live in a world where you want or get or deserve instant gratification to everything you do. No. You know? No. And so that's speed bump. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I've seen that myself, and it just it's tough. It is because you want to make people happy, exactly. like you want to provide good customer service, but also if you're constantly giving out freebies, you're not going to be there for the paying customers either. Mm-hmm. And then in turn, you're not going to be around to give out any freebies to anyone or discounts or whatever. And that's why I tell them, I go favors don't pay the bills. I go if you want me to be here next year. So you can come and buy your Eastern boss or Christmas boss or Christmas hand, whatever. This is what it costs. Right. Like, I can't, like, our prices are already too low, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, but we're doing okay. Yeah. You know, we're not, we don't make a ton of money. But I don't need to make a ton of money off right. of every single person that comes in there. Right. As long as we can pay our bills, pay my staff, we put a little bit away for a rainy day, we're doing all right. That's yeah. the way I look at it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a wild ride of obtaining this and keeping it going and morphing it into something that it is now because it was we were always known as a meat shop but it was never known for retail so to get where we are now has been a feat and an uphill battle but I've had some good support from some friends and my like I said my operations manager he is phenomenal I can't say anything bad about that man I mean I call him at 8.30 at night sometimes, and it was like, no, no problem, I'll write it down, I'll get it done for you tomorrow, or whatever, first yeah. thing, because I have to go some results in the morning, and yeah. he's going, you know, it's just something like, it never stops, like the phone calls never stop, Yeah. and I don't know who's calling me, I don't know where they get my phone number from, <laughs> I try very hard not to give my cell phone number to customers, Yeah. you know, like, call me at the store, or call me at the slaughterhouse, they can contact me, but people call, I don't know where they get it from, or you must get it from a friend of a friend or a farmer of a farmer. Yeah. And like, you get these phone calls like nine o'clock at night. Like on a Sunday night. Hey, uh, I want to schedule some cows. You realize it's nine o'clock on a Sunday night, right? You realize I'm not in my office. I don't have my work stuff with me. Like, we have business hours for a reason. Yeah. That's just wild. Well, like, you wouldn't call, I don't know, Target. Or Home Depot at midnight and go, hey, I want to place a custom order for wood. Like, you wouldn't do that because they have business hours. But for a small business, and people think we're always available. No, no. Or like, boundaries. Boundaries. Yeah. Or like, so we have, like, the social media pages. And people message the social media page out all hours of the night. It's like, I get it. It's social media. But, like, we're not a chain. Yeah. Like, you know it's a privately owned, family owned, local business that somebody's like probably personally running the Facebook page because that's what 
Well, do they like expect an immediate response? Like, is that the issue? Yeah. Oh, no, that's not okay. Yeah. Like, I, I probably messaged you to, like, try and set this up at, like, 11 o'clock at night. But, like, I also didn't expect you to respond oh, right well, away. We're all sort of bubbled and, like, cause I know you. You know what I mean? Like, you come in and talk to you right away. You know, like, customers have no idea who they are. Yeah. Like, it's a blessing and a curse is what it is. Like, I'm grateful that people are messaging me and they are trying to put in orders. And I appreciate the business because it's how we stay alive. I'm also, like, social media. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? It almost, I feel like it goes back to the entitlement thing, but it's just that you should always be available, that mm-hmm. you're just sitting there waiting on your phone or your computer. Want, it's the world we live in. They want instant gratification. Yeah. And you just can't do it. No. So people, I've had a few people be snarky about it, but 99% of the people are, are understanding and they're great. And like, I'll reply. Like, I look at it and I see, I'm like, that's not getting a response right now because. I'm just not doing it. Like, I want to sit on my couch and watch a movie with my wife. Yeah. Not respond to messages on Facebook at 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that's that's why there's business hours. Or, like, my biggest pet peeve with my social media pages, people message me all the time, what are your hours? Like, so you want you scour the internet to find me on the internet or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and rummage through my page to find the message button but didn't click the about button to see who we are, our phone number, our messenger, our email, and our store hours are right there. The, o- the only justification I have for that is I know when I, like we had, like I said, my husband and I had found you after the dog park. Initially, the business hours weren't on Google. Well, Initially. See, so Google still has this name, this long thing, beef pork. Yes, they do. And I can't change it. Because Google like wants you to pay money to access them so they could promote your account and have rights to your Google like Oh, that's cute. I'm like locked out of it somehow. And oh, I can't cute. get in and that's I'm, cute. I refuse to pay Google yeah, no. a multi million dollar conglomerate more money. Like it no. is what it is. Yeah. But like so but I then I've gone to your Facebook page and those were up there. So like Or like I love how we get and our hours are hung the door, which you've seen. Yeah. On a big red sign with yep. our hours. Yep. Yep. That blank list is closed Sundays and, and Mondays. Mondays. Yep. And then you get the Facebook messengers that are, oh, well, I stopped at your store on Monday and you guys weren't there. Because the sign says we're closed. People are, uh, it's just, it takes all kinds of kinds. Yes. People don't see the information uh, that's handed directly to them. And that is, as being a small business owner, dealing with the general public and like trying to help everybody the best you can, it's it's taxing on you like mentally and physically. Yeah. You know, because there's late hours, there's long days, sitting down, doing paperwork at the end of the day and doing all that nonsense. And then on top of it, you have to deal with the general public, which is. Yes. At times trying. Yes. <laughs> so I was told this a long time ago, which I tried to actively live by. And like, especially when we do signs and we do sale posters, which we've been doing a lot of that social mm-hmm. media. I tell my operations manager makes, uh, my ops manager makes all those posts mm-hmm. for me. So I don't have time to do that. Yeah. I always tell him, make them um, knowledgeable enough to the lowest common denominator yep. or whatever, you know? So, like, you basically have to dumb it down for people. 
Yeah. Just to generically say it. Yeah. So most it's, people understand it, but you always get the one or two, like, or they want something special, you know. Yeah, basically, if you look at most media and things like that, the it's really sad, but the general rule is you can't make anything above a, like a fourth or fifth grade reading level. Yeah. Um, because that's just how it is. You have to. And, and that alone is taxing on the mind. Yeah. You know, or like somebody came in the other day and we've been running the patty boxes on sale. Mm-hmm. Because it's summertime and yep. sausage patties and hamburger patties and grilling and like that's the time yep. of year it is. Yeah. Somebody came in, so they're, you sell 20 pound or five pound boxes with 20 patties in it. Mm-hmm. So there's stacks of five. Yep. You know, there's two stacks of five in one bag. Yep. Somebody come in, came in and asked if they could have five patties of each different flavor of hamburgers, hot sausage, sweet sausage, and kielbasa. So they wanted to make this multi patty. I'm like, so what do I do with the other 15 patties on every box? Like, no. Like, well, I can't. It's not even a sleeve because you they're in sleeves at 10. Exactly. Like, like no. Well, why not? You make them yourself. You can't just do that for me? No. No, I can't. Because I would like to. But if I do it for you, then yeah. I can do it for everybody. Well, and then, honestly, it becomes another. It's either a special item mm-hmm. that. You don't then regularly carry, but then you somehow have to figure out when to stock it. Exactly. And then it also becomes another item that you have to put in your POS system. Mm -hmm. And like, and then it's not, it might not be whatever you're charging for the hamburger prices because now they're all mixed up. And like, how how would you like me to charge that? And if I don't charge you the lowest price, you're going to get mad. Like, well, it's it's okay for me to lose as a small business. No, it's not. Because I can't be here. I can't have my doors open if I'm losing money. How do I survive? You know, like, and some people get upset at that. Oh, I thought this was a custom butcher shop. It is, but, like, I can't custom make everything for everybody all the time. Right. You know, we had, we had a lady come in on Saturday, and we were processing beef, hanging beef, mm-hmm. you know, on the hook. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, I need five pounds of chicken ground. I go, I can't help you with that today, ma'am. She goes, well, why not? You've done it for me in the past. I go, well, I can't stop processing beef to grind five pounds of chicken in my meat grinder that already has beef in it. So I have to wash, break down the whole beef, wash it, put it back together, grind her five pounds of chicken, take it all apart and rewash everything, put it together to continue to grind beef. Like, well, and I, so we, I buy ground chicken for the dog food and I'll buy it, uh, it's like in 40 or 50 pounds. 40 pound things. 40 pound things. And, um, John would be like, oh, it'll be a couple days. I'm like, that's fine. Cause he's even, he's explained that to me. Like, Hey, like I can't do it right away. Cause what you just said, it's that whole process, you know, there's a cross contamination and everything else. And I was like, that's fine. But if you, you guys are not this, you're not a stop and shop. You're not a whatever. You don't have multiple, like, yeah. If you're going to a small mom and pop for that customer service and things like that, you then also have to understand they don't have the infrastructure Correct. of bigger things. So you, you kind of have to choose. Mm-hmm. Either you want the big infrastructure and you want everything on demand as you want it, but the quality is going to be shit. Or you understand that sometimes things take a little bit longer because they are a small mom and pop, but it's higher quality. Like, Correct. pick. 
Exactly. And she wasn't very happy about it, but I think she understood where I was coming from. Yeah. But she was upset that she didn't have her product right then and there. So, but it is what it is. Yeah. Like you said, you can't make everybody happy and go crazy trying. Yeah. So. Well, Jeff, I will make sure I link your Facebook and the Instagram right. and the show notes. I appreciate you chatting with me. Like Absolutely. Say, you're the first one that actually have a face-to-face in-person, and that was pretty cool. Um, well, thanks for having us. Yeah. You know, uh, remember, support your local businesses. There's, the money goes back into the community. Yeah. I mean, just think, the money that you spend with us is paying something for my, my child. Yep. Buying clothes for my for my, my two-year-old. Yeah. It's putting food on my table. It's putting gas in my truck. It's not going to a conglomerate that's sitting in some rich man's bank account. Yeah. You know, and then we support our own small community. Yeah. You know, and the money's going back in the community all the way around. Yeah. Remember that. Think about that when you go to make a purchase. That's what matters. This is what keeps America, America. The yeah. opportunity to support small businesses and get things that you want and yeah. not have to be strapped into a box store. Absolutely. And uh, pay cash if you can. And thank you all for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Instagram and the show notes. I appreciate you chatting with me. You're the first one that actually have a face-to-face in person. And that was pretty cool. Um, Thanks for having us. Yeah. You know, uh, remember, support your local businesses. The money goes back into the community. Yeah. I mean, just think the money that you spend with us is paying something for my my child. Yeah. Buying clothes for my for my, my two-year-old, yeah. it's putting food on my table. It's putting gas in my truck. It's not going to a conglomerate that's sitting in some rich man's bank account. Yeah. You know, and then we support our own small community, yeah. you know, and the money's going back into the community all the way around. Yeah. Remember that. Think about that when you go to make a purchase. That's what matters. This is what keeps America, America, the yeah. opportunity to support small businesses and get things that you want and yeah. not have to be strapped into a box store. Absolutely. And uh, pay cash if you can. And thank you all for listening and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day.